Guys, welcome to this episode of the Weekly Dispatch, covering the 19th to the 26th of October. It's me, I'm Sean, we're back at it again for more news and such. It's the end of the month of October, which means we are so much closer to Rick and Morty finally coming back to TV, the Disney Channel launching the Mandalorian series, and we also got a new look at the Star Wars trailer, which is dope. Uh, college football is gearing up some great games and matchups this weekend if you're going to catch them. So everything is pretty, pretty cool. Fetch, as they might say. This week, you probably saw the launch of the Ranger V3 program on the military prep side of the house. It's a new program for our military prep side of the house. I'm repeating myself so you know exactly what it is. New program, military prep. This program is focused primarily on speed work for your conditioning. Uh, that's with running and some anaerobic base. And then we're going to introduce more of the ACFT movements for our Cronus fam. Our podcast is sponsored by Paragon Recovery. Use the code Cronus to get great deals on their products. Paragon Recovery keeps you in the fight through activating your recovery and sleep cycles. And check them out and contact them for even more savings if you're a member of the military community or one of the many law enforcement agencies. Today's podcast will focus internationally on Afghanistan, and it's super fun, not corrupt, totally legit election, Syria and Turkey and Russia, oh my, and the International Monetary Fund, so everyone grab a coffee. Our U.S. America's News this week will cover Instagram, hashtag selfie, wildfires in California, and the impeachment inquiry. Bad faith. As a special news segment this week, we're going to cover the debate over ICE in the courthouse. Some individuals are doing work to prevent this kind of behavior and why. So we'll go into the prevention of keeping that agency out of the courthouse uh, where they are making many arrests on immigrants in the country, both legal and illegal, and what that is having an effect on in our courtrooms. But outside of that, Let's go. All right, we start the top of the world news segment in Afghanistan. If you're sitting on the edge of the seat because I've been building this up for weeks now, Dr. Abdullah has won. No, just kidding. He's claimed victory. We still have no official announcement after a month of individuals claiming on both sides of mass corruption. The new claims this week are that over 2,000 of the biometric devices which are no doubt the same ones that my platoon used back in 2013, which I can tell you were definitely treated right, uh, are corrupt or broken or not working, or somehow someone figured out a way to say that these computer devices are just straight, broke, and crap. So, no matter what, we still don't have a president in Afghanistan. So now let's take a walk with me. That's sound my feet make. We're in Syria. Russian forces are now moving into northern Syria after joining forces with Turkey this week to clear out a buffer zone in northern Syria, and that is a free zone free of Kurds. The Trump administration announced around 500 advisors are going to stay in the country, but we still don't know what role they're going to play because now we're not partnered with the Kurds any longer. 
fears are now focused on the thousands of jailed ISIS fighters in that region. And with all of the fighting going on, those individuals could potentially break out and then cause mass hysteria all over the Middle East and trying to get back into the fight. The call to remove troops from Syria has received bipartisan criticism because of the years of fighting uh, that we have had with our U.S. Special Operations Command conducting shoulder-to-shoulder operations in routing that ISIS threat. This also comes the week that Russia announced a desire to take a larger presence in the Middle East. Now the big question is, what will large-scale, powerful Arab nations do in that region to help curb the potential breakout, almost like a powder keg of this World War I-type tension? Where's Saudi Arabia? Where's Kuwait? Where are the leaders of the region that could do, should do, and might not do anything to prevent a further provocation of violence and of bad foreign policy between states like Turkey, Russia, Syria, and now America? More to follow next week, as I'm sure, but it's really sad to see a lot of stories coming out of that region of just large-scale shelling. We're hoping that they're using some devices at least to ensure that the civilians have a free and safe passage out of the area. Now we're on to the International Monetary Fund. The head of the International Monetary Fund is urging public policymakers to take measures to slow a global recession. We talked about the inverted yield curve two months ago and how it sometimes indicates a recession within about 18 months. In this case, without any other stimuli, that would be true, but we could expect this to maybe be a little bit faster now because of things like Brexit, the trade war with China, and now another potential trade war with Europe. We have all the elements to make a great catalyst. And that's just going to make things way worse for money markets. This week, the finance ministers and central bank central planners gathered for the IMS fall meeting in D.C. where they received briefs about the biggest risk to the global economy. And all of those are all trade related, which is weird, right? Because it's not like we've not been following the news. This year, our economic growth is the slowest since 2009, and that's based mostly on the world's two largest economies in a tit-for-tat trade war wonder who they are, leaving what the Wall Street Journal has called a Switzerland-sized hole in the global economy. Because of the escalating tariffs between the U.S. and China, investments are down, supply chains are being interrupted as competitors face increasing cost and reduced revenue. And this has trimmed global output by $700 billion. That's about a percentage point. On a side note, our defense budget is about $700 billion. And if we were to take about three to four hundred billion of that to secure like a safer future, one estimated by scientists to reduce carbon emissions, we could be very successful here in the next decade. So do you want more cry uniform or an Opscore helmet or do we want to control carbon emissions? Totally unrelated to the main story with the IMF. I just thought it was a good segue. Bring it up at your next cocktail party or your next hail and farewell. President Trump is critical of multilateral contracts and trade deals because he believes they are harmful to U.S. interests. Specifically, President Trump wants to protect U.S. steel. He imposed tariffs last year on imports from European allies, and this is already on top of the $360 billion worth of Chinese imports. What's key to note is that three-fourths of the economic impact from these tariffs isn't 
a result of the tariffs. And what I mean by that is it's all investment. Investor uncertainty and diminished investments in short-term securities, believing that turmoil is creating too much uncertainty for return on investments, it's what's really causing this backlash in global economy. Last week, the administration imposed about $7.5 billion worth of taxes on imports from Europe. And that's being viewed by economists as way more damaging than the Chinese tariffs because we have a much longer relationship with that continent. The tariffs on long-time allies, with which we now share more than just that economic relationship, is a concerning sign for future nationalism and autarky-type landscapes that we are surely cultivating across the pond. All right, now we're back in the land of red, white, and blue. And no, that's not France or Britain. We're here in America. We're the only red, white, and blue country. Specifically, one dominated by Instagram. Did you know that sponsored content on Instagram can fetch upwards of nearly $1 million per post? Well, that would be true if you're Cristiano Ronaldo. If you're slightly less famous, I think a cool hundred grand sounds pretty, pretty, pretty good. Well, online advertisers with social media might be hitting its fast approaching precipice because companies are starting to see way less value in using social media influencers wasting hundreds of millions of dollars every year since 2016. The main analytics companies use to measure whether an influencer is worth investing in are what's called engagement rates. Those are measured off the number of likes a post generates as a percentage of a person's followers. And these numbers are down this year. Most consumers can see if someone really likes a product or is just doing it to push a brand based on a financial interest. And now that I have your attention, I want all of you to know I have lost so much weight using this brand of tea. This tea makes me go to the bathroom about 25 times a day, but it's herbal, it's organic, it's a great tea. You can find it on any tea stand. That's the kind of crap that people don't want to see. But unfortunately, advertisers can't avoid Instagram or social media because so many people look at their phones over 100 times a day easily. Instagram reports alone over a billion users monthly. And as a result, companies spend around 4 to $8 billion on those people and their products. That number is up $500 million alone from last year. But if you think that's a lot, looking at average advertising around the globe of $620 billion, it's really just a drop in the bucket. So let's be real. You want to be an influencer and get your money right? Well, you can buy friends. That's always worked. For just $16 on Instagram and $34 on Facebook, spam, 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 spam. God, I really want to eat meat. Scam companies, did you know I'm a vegan? Commonly known as click farms will sell you upwards of 1,000 followers. Hype Auditor did a study of roughly 1.8 million accounts and found that half had used this kind of fraud-based inflation technique to increase their tallies. There was uh, some chick, I think a couple months ago, that came out, and she had launched her own t-shirt company, and she had hundreds of thousands of followers. And when she launched this t-shirt company, which was partnered with another larger company, she only sold 22 t-shirts. 
And she let her followers know just how upset she was with them for not furthering the brand that she thought she had made. It's really interesting. If you watch the Netflix or the Hulu documentary on the Fire Festival, exactly what kind of impact an influencer can have, the Hulu documentary was very negative in its representation of influencers and this positivity that they're trying to create and not really having a actual brand, but one made up of what they think people want to see. Influencer deception is going to cost advertisers this year around $1.3 billion. That was based on a statistic that a professor out of Baltimore did. We're just going to see a lot of this. I think it's going to start waning. A lot of small businesses have moved to Instagram. That's where Cronus Fit started because it was just such an open arena in order to promote the kind of fitness and nonprofit work that we're doing. But it's one of those that is just a double-edged sword because there is a lot that you have to buy into as far as social media is concerned and keeping up with the times. One thing Cronus Fit's not going to do is we're not going to wear silly shirts uh, just to, to sell a point. So for those small business listeners out there, make sure you guys are pushing something forward on a population that really does represent exactly who you are. We're going to transition now to the California wildfires. In just a week, the wildfires have doubled and at this time are burning over 23,000 acres of land and wine country all over the state, but predominantly up north, forcing thousands of individuals to evacuate their homes. PG&E, the same company that was responsible for last year's massive fires, is again to blame. Last year, the fire cost them an estimated $30 billion in liability, and as a result, they already have a huge lawsuit against them, but this year they ran into a similar issue where a rogue spark from a transformer ignited some dead brush, and now here we are. In response, PG&E is shutting down power to an estimated 2.8 million Californians. PG&E is already filing bankruptcy and is turning the lights out on 940,000 homes near Berkeley, San Francisco, and the Bay Area alone. The shutout is going to affect a fifth of the company's total users, and that's roughly 7% of the California population. Fires right now are within a mile of over $12 billion worth of property, and because PG&E is already in a lawsuit and bankrupt, any payout must go to those from last year before this year's victims can recover, which is just awful. I don't know the specifics of how bankruptcy court works, especially when you can't cover that kind of damage. So the state might have to step in. And this week, dry winds are expected to hit the state much harder. So we could potentially see this risking thousands of individuals and homes. The fires are especially hard for small businesses, too. Shutting off power for just four days this week is costing them. An example is a frame shop in the Nevada foothills has lost over $8,000 in business. California's government is calling on PG&E to reimburse small businesses $250 each for lost power. But that's not going to do much relying on customers and direct interaction. Grocery stores, the hardest of those hit, are losing anywhere from $3,000 to $100,000. And that cost just doesn't include people going and buying, but the produce that is just going to rot. Large-scale generators, you're thinking, maybe can help. But those cost upwards of $100,000 and then $20,000 just to rent. So a lot of grocery chains can't afford the technology to keep 
produce fresh. Outside of Yellowstone, the electricity shutdown has forced nearly 99% of businesses to close, and that's out of 3,000. This week ahead is going to be tough because when you're forcing thousands to evacuate areas, that's thousands of business owners and the employees who run the business and aren't going to be allowed back in to keep up the daily grind. The next question is, for those who have nowhere else to go, who's going to reimburse them for the cost of getting hotel rooms, paying to eat every meal out, and then going somewhere that's animal friendly? We haven't even thought about that. All the pets that are out there in California, if you can't travel with them, they're stuck at these homes. How do you take care of them? So a lot of problems caused by PG&E. I think it's now to the point, because we're two years in a row of this incident happening, that someone is going to do something at the national level in Congress to ensure that companies can't get off with filing bankruptcy in order to avoid paying costs. Hopefully less to follow up on next week as 20,000 firefighters are going to rush there and curb some of the absolutely awful damage. And speaking of absolutely awful damage, damage to our credibility, the hearings and the inquiry into the impeachment process are still underway, but they are getting much testier this week. Again, it's an inquiry. It's not really an impeachment investigation yet because they haven't had a vote on it. But this week, we saw about two dozen Republicans storm the committee floor in order to protest. Uh, just again, if you want to listen to the impeachment podcast that we ran, you can go check it out. But right now, what they're doing is not illegal. It was, in fact, ratified by the last Republican-held Congress for this exact process where witnesses are afforded an opportunity to go behind closed doors out of the public eye. But back to the impeachment inquiry, once they determine that they want to have a vote for the impeachment, then they will come to the Judiciary Committee. There will be a much more public forum. So as of right now, it's just a lot of smoke and mirrors. There is actually nothing that is going to be done. They're just trying to gather enough information to say yes or no, we are going to have an impeachment process. And why this is so important this week is Bill Taylor just went on to the closed-door hearings. He was the top U.S. diplomat in Kiev, and it's his testimony where he said he was aware of nearly $400 million in aid being contingent on the investigation into the Democratic president candidate, Vice President Joe Biden. And that was on top of another holdout for the United States on a meeting with President Trump at the White House for the Ukrainian president. Now we go and we see what some of the individuals in these committee rooms are saying. Representative David Sicilian from Rhode Island, he's a Democrat, said, as soon as we have completed the gathering of evidence, we are ready to make a presentation. And this goes back to, you can have an inquiry on literally any topic you want. There are some Republicans that are inside of these closed door hearings, and they're coming out and saying they're not hearing anything that's groundbreaking. And what the goal is that Representative Dean Phillips, another Democrat out of Minnesota said that the commencement of public hearings before Thanksgiving is a reasonable objective. So within the next three weeks, you probably will hear more of what the way going forward is for the Democratic Party. This was already done before, if we go back just seven years to the Benghazi hearings, where much of those were done behind closed doors when the Republicans were investigating Hillary Clinton and the response 
to the Benghazi attacks. And right now, all we need to hope for is that there is some consistency, at least in allowing this process to continue and be fair to all individuals before we rush to judgment saying that the politicians that are put into power are not abusing that power. All right, our special topic this week is on keeping ICE out of the courts. This is just a topic specifically to New York State, although it is nationally across in almost every state with a group called the Immigrant Defense Project. They reported that between 2016 and 2018, there were more arrests made outside of courtrooms up 1,700%, and that includes both documented and undocumented individuals. And it's not just courtrooms that we would expect. It's courtrooms like community justice, trafficking, and family courts. Typically, in the past, this has been really important because when an individual was an undocumented or documented uh, immigrant, people would say, if we're going to have individuals commit violent crimes, those being rape, assault, battery, that's the point at which I should come to the courtroom and make these direct arrests. But now they're starting to do reports on the lower courts and seeing that these arrests outside are happening much more frequently and just not exactly where you would expect them to. So why is this so important? Jurisdictions aren't willing to hold or work with ICE, and so ICE is now going outside of the courts in order to make these arrests. And this is where we are now at, because things like information sharing, which ICE has access to, and those are all the data mines that are created by law enforcement agencies when they take photos, when they create court dates, is something that ICE can use. So they can go directly to the court where a hearing will be, whether it is one of the violent crimes or one of just family crimes, and they can do a stakeout and essentially stop people before they leave their house, stop people before they get to the courtroom, and this is having a huge impact on courtroom presence. Uh, the individuals that are both the victims and the witnesses, aside from just the actual perpetrators. So New York State kind of has a, a weird, or New York City has a weird kind of sanctuary city policy. It's not a full sanctuary city, but detainers uh, by ICE for jailed inmates is illegal. And you can't have an individual arrested and then have ICE notify the prison or the local jail and say, hey, you need to hold on to them for me because I'm going to come and make an ICE warrant. So now that offense needs a warrant, a judicial order from a federal judge, and then the individuals from ICE have to announce themselves uh, when they go to these locations, and courtrooms are also included on that. So that trend is we're not just seeing this kind of stuff happen only uh, at violent courts, it's the other courts as well. So the Immigration Defense Project is saying why. Why is this something that is important? Well, they say that it protects everyone's rights to attend court. That is a constitutional privilege. It's not just reserved for individuals that are citizens. And now we're talking the plaintiffs, the defendants, and the witnesses in so many crimes where you need someone to point the finger and say, this individual is the responsible party. ICE says that it is only going after serious offenses, 
And that is a public safety narrative that they have been pushing uh, since the beginning of the Immigration Defenses Project because they see that it is a responsibility of law enforcement agencies and true to purpose to create a safer public for both you and me. IDP focuses, though, on all groups, and IDP says that arrests at courthouses is now making the public less safe. And how that how is that possible? Uh, well, they say that it's less safe because individuals that are truly responsible for these crimes, uh, beyond just the violent crimes, are preventing the smaller crimes from going punished. So as a result, you have more family drama, you have more issues in these small-scale courtrooms where individuals don't want to show up to create a more safe society at a much less uh, violent uh, position. So some policy research, uh, they sent out over a thousand surveys in nine of the largest cities and found that 60% of people from immigrant families avoid courts in general, and that's both whether they want to file a court order because they've been attacked or there's a family issue, uh, or whether they are victims or witnesses. 40% uh, of those avoid domestic, uh, include domestic violence victims. And then 35% of them avoid going to youth court when children are, are appearing because they don't want to have their children taken away or they themselves don't be, want to be taken away from their children. So there's not a lot of mentorship that they can provide in these courtrooms, which makes it increasingly scary for individuals that don't have that familiar support. So the strategy right now for the Immigration Defense Project is they're meeting with the most senior members to determine what kind of courtroom rules can be created. For instance, they met with Janet DeFieri. She is the chief judge here in New York and then the chief clerk. Uh, and they met with many public defender groups uh, trying to safeguard the integrity of the New York state courts. They're trying to create some legislation within the state of New York, uh, bills a2176 and 3425, and those are sponsored by multiple state senators in order to protect participants in the vicinity of courtrooms and then holding members of ICE in contempt if they violate any of these rules coming into the courtroom or outside of a courtroom. And then they're also targeting litigation. So the big things that we should focus on is right now the First Amendment, uh, provides opportunities for non-citizens to participate in court. The Fifth Amendment creates uh, equal protection and process. And then we have to look at what kind of state rights exist. And then the Sixth Amendment guarantees everyone a speedy trial. So at what point do we see the prevention of state rights being upheld for what a state wants to do? And we talked about that issue kind of with the sanctuary city policies because states can prevent these law enforcement agencies from coming in and taking out uh, documented, undocumented immigrants without any national repercussions. So what do we do with that? Uh, we also have problems with defendants taking early plea deals out of fear of subsequent court dates. And what plea deals are, are you get a potential conviction of a crime and whether you have served any time or you haven't served time, the prosecution will come and say, we are going to offer you uh, this level of a misdemeanor or this charge, and 
you can either accept that or you can risk coming back to court and going up against us and the state and the public and losing and getting more. So it's kind of that game theory exactly. Do you want door number one that you definitely know the terms of or do you want to try and risk going to door number two? And the risk now is going to door number two is you face the possibility that ICE might be at that court. So we just see that there is now a larger movement for this. Uh, this is just one example in New York State. I'm sure there are many across the country, but we think it's important that when we have opportunities to talk about things, because it impacts our country, we should. Uh, at no point is Konisfit saying one side is correct, one side is not correct. We kind of all make up the fabric of the country. But as an educated population, you can do much more. So contact your local representatives, see how they feel about this topic. If you have a strong feeling about this topic, let them know, do the research. There are many programs and resources online where you can go and ensure that Americans and the population that you are a member of are safely kept sound. Okay. Now we're on to more fun stuff in our closeout. This week in sports, the World Series is finally here, so you don't have to watch any more summertime baseball. The Nats are currently up 2-1 to one over the Houston Astros. In rugby, big news is jolly old England beat New Zealand for the first time in over seven years to make it to the Rugby World Cup Finals in Japan. Tomorrow at 5 a.m. Eastern, well, it's Saturday, so you're going to miss it. At 5 a.m. Eastern on Sunday, Wales takes on South Africa to play for the second finalist position in the World Cup, and then there will be a bronze medal losers game between New Zealand and one of those two this upcoming week. Last week, we didn't talk about this, but 20.2 was four thrusters with 50-pound dumbbells, six toes to bar, and 24 double unders. And I got to say, on the military prep side of the house, I've not been programming any toes to bar, so I am so sorry for those of you that jumped into this workout. I think we can all agree, double unders, we've done a lot of those. Thrusters, our legs are solid for that, but the toes to bar hurt me both physically and oh, so, so emotionally. I finished over 18 rounds. Uh, Bobby did it over 20. So right now, uh, I'm the absolute loser of the Cronus Fit, fittest on earth, Cronus Fit CrossFit Championship Series. This week, 20.3 is 21.59 of deadlifts at 225 into handstand push-ups. And then once you finish that, you go into 21.59 of deadlifts at 315 and a 50-foot handstand walk. What's new about this year is they went back to a two-year standard, or standards from two years ago, excuse me, for the handstand push-ups where they're measuring it off of the length of your forearm and then putting that as a percentage up above your head. So instead of doing handstand push-ups off of a block that they get, uh, you're now going to see some weird stuff. So guys like Jacob Hepner, who a couple years ago were crushed for it, Brooke Wells was crushed for it. You're going to see some like really grainy coverage out of these very high-tech iPhones where you're going to be like, I can't see if they're crossing the line. Yeah, neither can I. So you're just going to get it CrossFit. That's what's happened. The NBA is finally back this week. So your favorite chairman, LeBron, is going to be repping the Lakers. They lost their first game of the season in the Los Angeles Championship Series to the Clippers. 
So Lakers are off to a hot start. The Warriors got blown out in their first game at home, 144 to like 121. So the NBA is in an absolute up for grabs this year. Really excited to see what happens. And then football, obviously you guys shouldn't watch any of the football for the rest of the season because the Eagles just look absolutely trash. They got crushed, absolutely crushed by Dallas last week. So I don't see any real bright side for watching uh, the Eagles or doing the Eagles chant uh, upcoming in the next six to eight weeks. But that's going to do it for our show this week. You guys have a safe week ahead. Check out Brain Body Bobby for all great content. He covered CBD last week. So if you have any questions on that and individuals wasting some money or maybe doing smart investment, check it out. We're going to have new programs launched here shortly. You guys can get the 175 program now for free at cronusfit.org. Hit us up on Cronusfit. Instagram, sorry, Facebook, I had a mental breakdown there, or uh, hit us up at HQ at chronosfit.org for all of your questions about programming, fitness, and if you have any questions about assessing into the special operations community or in general questions about service. Have a great week, guys.